Hey, it's August 20th, and I finally edited this thing. This is Cockatrice Nuggets with Rich Frazier, serving you up a heaping helping of RPG nuggets straight to your gaming table. I'm here with Tom Knaus. Hello. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing good, thank you. Let's jump right in. When did you start playing RPGs? Oh, wow. I first started playing, um, I don't know the exact date, but I'm going to try to pin it down to the late 70s, um, possibly early 80s. Um, so I was a teenager. Uh, started with, of course, uh, Dungeons & Dragons, the basic, um, I believe we played the old uh, blue box with the uh, blue dragon. And then, you know, we tried to venture into other games, tried to venture into um, Gamma World. Um, Bought a lot of games that we never actually played, like Boot Hill and um, Bushido, which someone actually dug up a copy of uh, recently. Um, and uh, but primarily, Dungeons and Dragons would have to be the uh, main RPG we played growing up. So D and D was your most played, but what was your favorite out of those? Um, I would have to say Dungeons and Dragons. That's why we stuck with it for so long. Um, I liked Gamma World too, though. Gamma World was fun. It was kind of more of a um, taking a break from Dungeons and Dragons than primary focus. Gamma World was, I think, the second one I played. I mean, I'm contemporary with uh, Thunder the Barbarian. Remember the old cartoon? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, for sure. So Gamma World always had that feel. So you always like kind of drawn to it because it was like Thunder was cool. So I want to, you know, have like a Very sun cool. sword and play something in like a mutant apocalyptic world so it kind of fit the bill do you have like a, a favorite or a lucky set of dice um i have a set of let's see if i can grab them if you can see them these are a set of wormwood uh, not wormwood of uh, zebra wood dice i picked up zebra wood huh mm-hmm oh wow yep it came in a nice little case so um they're like my go-to dice i really they actually have a nice smell to them from the wood i was right. doing i was getting into stone dice i'm sorry stone dice for a little while but mm -hmm. like like most people have learned over time they tend to chip right yeah especially the d4 um and the d6 so i've kind of veered away from the stone and gone more towards the exotic uh, wood dice which are pretty cool yeah I've not, i haven't seen too many of those how do they roll um they roll pretty well um some of them can be a little um uh, some of the D6s don't roll too well. Yeah. They can be kind of like, kind of squarish. Clunky. So you may have a problem with them. Yeah, yeah. But the D20s tend to roll uh, pretty well uh, with the wood dice, you know, especially if they're slightly larger. They're more on the size. There's a few wood dice sets that are smaller than the regular polyhedrals. So those tend to not roll as well for your D20. They tend to um, almost like rolling like a, a, like a, a round ball. Oh, yeah. <laughs> don't stop so what was your first product that you wrote the first product that i wrote was uh oh my god it was actually a pdf adventure uh i submitted to a company called rock games which was a long time ago it was an adventure called love forlorn um and that was the first thing i got published in pdf the first thing in print was uh boy i think it was uh a compilation book for atlas games called uncommon characters 
Oh, cool. Uh, yeah. Back in uh, 3.5 days? 3.0. 3.0. I got started uh, in the industry around uh, 2000. So oh. right when the right when the OGL came out. Yeah. Yeah. It really opened up and, and gave a lot of uh, chances for uh, new people to get into the industry because it was such a small niche kind of business prior to that, that, you know, you either work for TSR or, you know, maybe one of the other companies producing RPGs, but yeah. how many could have there been at the time? Right. Less than 10. I think that's about right. Yeah, no, there weren't too many. So <laughs> it's really opened up the door to a lot of people. And while a lot of the companies, you know, that started um, at the OJL and, you know, in the whole, whole like explosion are, are not with us anymore. Um, a lot of the people who were involved with them, you know, eventually built up a reputation and, and moved on and, you know, found a place someplace else. So um, it really opened the door to a lot of new and different ideas that I think really helped the game expand a lot. Yeah, definitely. It, um, yeah, when you open something up like that, it's going gonna, it's gonna to flood a lot of new stuff in. And uh, I think that's good for any industry. Yeah, new ideas keep things fresh. So, you know, and new people keep things fresh. And, you know, just simply, you know, like any other industry, if you, you know, had, um, I'm a big punk rock fan. So nice. I grew up in the 70s. Mm -hmm. And in the 70s, it was the same old, you know, rock radio, the same old bands over there from the 60s. And you know, I'm not saying it was bad. I'm not saying they turned out bad music, but it was really kind of stagnant. Right, run of the mill. Right, it was. I don't want to say run in the mill, but it was kind of like very just stayed. There were no new really artists breaking in. Mm -hmm. um, there might have been a handful, but by and large, there weren't until you brought in. You know, punk became big, and, and then you had a whole slew of new artists, and then you had MTV come along. Right, and you introduced an entire generation to a whole bunch of new artists, um, and it really changed things. And I think with RPGs, it was the same thing. You know, if you have the same people doing the same things for years and years and years, you know, eventually it does kind of stagnate for lack of a better word. Yeah, so I think it really helped. Yeah, I feel like we're in a renaissance right now with uh, the streaming thing, bringing a lot of people in, seeing a lot of different ways people play. Yeah, I think the streaming has opened up the possibilities because um, it is difficult to get, especially now in you know the COVID environment, it's difficult to get together in person. So. Mm -hmm. Streaming for a lot of groups is the only option, even if you were formerly um, playing in person, you know, depending upon where you are in the country. So, All right, so I got a controversial question here for you. Okay. Who, who started punk rock? Was it uh, Sex Pistols or was it uh, New York? Okay, I'm a big Sex Pistols fan. All right. Um, but the Sex Pistols did have the Ramones album. So they knew of the Ramones. And I believe the first actual, what's considered the first quote-unquote punk single was released by The Damned, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, wow. New Rose. Yeah, right. so New Rose was the first punk. It's considered by some, again, uh, it's considered the first punk single that was released. So technically, if you want to go by who released the first quote-unquote punk you know, rec record, it was probably The Damned, or it could have been, I'm not sure if The Ramones came first or The Damned, but I know in England it was The Damned. Does writing energize you or exhaust you? Uh, it depends. Uh, you know, sometimes it can be difficult. 
and sometimes it's it's inspirational. You know, um, it depends on what stage you are in a project. I think when you're first starting, it's very uh, exciting and it's inspirational. And as you get further into it, um, it can be sometimes challenging to come up with new ideas or you know see where you want to go with something. You know, you see it. I'm terribly disorganized. Uh, I'm not the person who writes the 20-page outline explaining everything that's going to happen. My outline might be, or my idea might be a page long, and I just kind of flesh it out as I go along. So that, for me, works. Um, but it can be points where you hit a bit of that uh, where do I go from here kind of situation that can be kind of, oh, boy, I'm kind of stuck. Where do I go? And then, you know, for some reason, it just kind of tends to work itself out, and, you know, you tend to move on from that. All right, so if you had a superpower, what would it be? You know, last night someone asked me the same question. Well, I, I, I'm talking about a real life superpower, though. Like mine, oh, finding okay. parking. Oh, <laughs> all right. All right. So, not a superhero superpower. No, nope, just uh, your uh, everyday life, what you could call a superpower. I would be uh, tech savvy. Nice. That's a good one. That's, yeah. Somebody uh, who could, you know, do all those tech things that I can't do, that, you know, can go on and, uh, uh, you know, fix whatever and you know and create my own computer and you know do all the streaming stuff and you know not have to struggle with it i could do photoshop you know easily so i would say be a tech expert would be it that that definitely is a superpower i forget how like how much knowledge that is until i meet somebody who can't do it and i'm like no no double click no, no faster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we had a fun, it was a funny story from my regular job. Is uh, we have a guy who's a computer scientist, and uh, we're doing a um, Skype meeting, and he can't figure out how to uh, hit the mute button on the microphone. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we're all like, you're a computer scientist. You don't know where the mute. <laughs> I know where the mute button is on the Skype meeting, so. You know, I guess sometimes it's one of those cases where people overthink things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think it must be more complicated than it really is. Speaking of which, if you didn't write, what would you do? Oh, boy. Um, you know what? I am a quasi... I guess I call myself a quasi-attorney. Mm -hmm. And everyone who are the real attorneys say I speak more like an attorney than they do. <laughs> so I, I guess I would probably be an attorney. Did you go to school for that? No. No? I did not. I had no schooling at all for uh, law. I just seemed to be good at picking it up and presenting an argument in front of somebody. And I just seem to be good at it for some reason. I don't know why, but I just am. Nice. What are some common traps for aspiring writers? Uh, I think some common traps for, for people are that they sometimes um, overthink things like I was just saying, and they create something that's too convoluted and uh, somebody who's reading it, remember, you're, you're, you're writing for the reader, you're not writing for yourself. So if the reader can't follow what you're thinking, it's very easy to lose, to just lose, you know, interest because I'm, I'm reading something and I have no idea what you're talking about. Right. Um, so, you know, the advice is always keep it simple. You know, don't go into too much elaboration when you're doing something. Um, you know, and make sure that, you know, your spelling and your grammar, well, they don't have to be perfect. I mean, have to be pretty good. 
Right. So I'm not fixing it all the time or, um, you know, so I, I think those are just some key things that if you're trying to break into this industry that you really have to pay close attention to. You know, you're writing for somebody else. You're not really writing. While it's maybe be enjoyable for you to do it, you're not the audience I'm trying to reach. You're trying to reach the reader. Mm-hmm. And the reader needs to be able to connect with the ideas you're presenting rather than they're so esoteric that you're the only one who gets the joke. Right. If you could tell your younger self anything, what would it be? Um, get a different major in college. <laughs> <laughs> That's that would probably definitely be a good one. You know, we all. I went to school and I was actually took a gap year. Uh, I went out of high school and I, you know, I, I was a good, very good student. I was an excellent student actually, but I was just unmotivated and didn't give a hoot. And I took a gap year, worked, and said, "This boy, this really sucks. I don't want to do this." So I went back to school, but it was kind of like you know one of those things where I was originally well, my dad was a teacher, maybe I'll be a teacher. So I took some education, and it was kind of like eh, I don't really know if this is for me. You know, and then I went into English, and while I'm ultimately, you know, yeah, I'm an RPG writer, um, you know, that's not my bread and butter is, you know, writing RPGs. So, so uh, is there anything out there on the horizon that you're looking to get your hands on? I would love to do some Cthulhu adventures, Cthulhu material. Uh, I like playing the game. Mm-hmm. I enjoy GMing the game. Um it's if if I go to a con, Call of Cthulhu is my con game that I'm looking for. Sweet. Um, yeah, so I, I would like to do some Call of Cthulhu work. Um, there may be a possibility it will come up on the horizon, um, so that's cool. And I'm actually toying around with a card game. Um, so I actually have a little prototypes. Uh, again, I don't have actual ones, but I have to use regular playing cards and put the. Right. <laughs> on them for now until I, you know, figure out how exactly it's going to go through playtesting. That's something else, too, I'm working on that I really think if I can, you know, catch lightning in a bottle, it might be pretty big. So nice. we'll hopefully, fingers crossed. So does that affect your other writing at all? Is there a little bit of uh, Eldritch Horror there in the background? Yeah, yeah. There's some, actually, I showed uh, another uh, big Cthulhu fan. Um, I actually have a copy of the Delta Green Countdown. He was a big Delta Green uh, enthusiast, so I whipped out a mint Delta Green. He was very envious of it. <laughs> Countdown. Cool. Said, oh my God, you have a mint? I'm like, yeah, I just had it on my shelf for years. Tell us about your current project. Uh, I am currently uh, kick- we're going to be kickstarting next week a project we are calling Tual. It is spelled T E H U A T L. So it's naturally most people probably. Tehuatl, it's really Tawal is the way you pronounce it. Um, it is a Mesoamerican-inspired expansion to Frog God Games' uh, The World of the Lost Lands campaign setting. So it consists of two books. The first book is the main book, or the system-neutral source book, which we call simply Tawal. Uh, it is your guide to this island. It provides like a gazetteer. There's a full-color map. Um, it describes the history, uh, gives you an overview of the customs, the traditions, uh, the people, their religions, um, and some cursory equipment. Uh, supplementing that book, we also will have a system-specific guidebook that will provide some of the crunch material. That'll be prepared for 5e, um, Pathfinder, 
and also for Swords and Wizardry, which is our in-house mm-hmm. uh, 1E retro clone system. Um, that guidebook will be smaller for SNW for Swords and Wizardry because some of the crunch material doesn't port over well to the system. Yeah. So that will be a little smaller. Um, we then have a Adventures into Wild adventure book that currently has three adventures in it, one written by me, one written by Tim Hitchcock. If you know Paizo and Pathfinder pretty well, he's done a lot of adventures for them. Um, and Rob Manning, who has done a lot of work for Wright Games, and he's done some work for us at Frog God Games too. Um, our stretch goals, we're going to have two more adventures added to the book if we uh, are able to reach that goal. And we'll also do a bestiary of new monsters that appear in this setting um, if we reach a stretch goal for that. So all of the material is written. Um, there's nothing else that needs to be written at this point. Uh, a good portion of it's been edited already. Um, and all the art is, been, is done, too. So this is a project that is pretty much in the final stages. Yeah, this is not something that give us the money and we'll start writing it. This is pretty much done. Um, and the art, I have to say, is really, really um, outstanding. Many of our artists are from Central and South America. So oh, awesome. they were really interested in doing this project. And you know, you can tell a lot of them really poured their hearts and souls into this. This was something that when we gave them an order, they were like, please, give me more orders. I really want to do this kind of material um, because it's, it's not done very often. And that's really one of the things that drew, drew me to decide to do this project was it's not something that's done often, and it's something we think that should have been done uh, a long time ago and give people an opportunity to experience a culture that's much different than most people experience and most people are familiar with. And that's really what we wanted to do. We really wanted to honor these people and respect their traditions and give you an opportunity to um, experience their world but it's still fictional. So it, this is not role-playing in 16th century Mexico. Right. Um, this is role-playing in a world that's inspired by it, but it's not the actual world. It's it's different. So okay. we added we added some differences, um, some changes to it that we felt made sense from a technological standpoint uh, and from a logistical standpoint. But we also right. wanted to keep things true to the way they actually were, um, without making, you know, we don't want to introduce gunpowder. Uh, we didn't want to introduce some um, horses. Um, we felt that that was kind of different. But in this version, um, the people who are known as the Asleys, um, who are modeled basically after the Aztecs, um, they have vulcanized rubber. Um, they have warships. So they have things that they didn't have in the real world, but we've give, we've um, added them in the fantasy world to right. You know, make that that we thought made sense. Right, it would be a natural progression. So, that's the road we decided to take with that. How separated is this from the main Lost Lands continent? Um, well, if you have the World of the Lost Lands setting book, um, it discusses the southern uh, hemisphere and it talks about the Arkanos Islands, and it just gives very like little bits of pieces about a little um. I'm trying to remember what the word is they call them nuggets or um, uh, what you know this little uh, links to it so this is in the southern uh, hemisphere it is an island it's, it's probably the size of like a midwestern state if I were to give an equivalent so it's not you know gargantuan it's not the size of Australia 
but this is not, you know, the tiny island like Aruba or anything like that. Right. You know, it's several hundred miles across and several hundred miles wide. So, um, you know, it is still has a few connections to the main continents, but it is more or less a standalone location. Cool. Mm -hmm. Um, So what inspired you to uh, take this on? Um, I was actually given the opportunity to do whatever I wanted. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So it's one of those deals where I had filled in on a lot of things that other people were supposed to do but couldn't do for whatever reason. So it's like, can you, you know, crank out 60,000 words in the Lost Lands? Okay, I can do it in a couple months. So, you know, you do it and it's like, all right. It's basically, well, what do you want to do this time? Because you've done what other people have, you know, been filled in. And I said, this is what I want to do. Um, you know, I always found the, that the culture very fascinating and I knew some stuff about it, but once I did a really deep dive into it, I, I wanted to learn so much more about it and to really bring it to life so people can um, experience it. And, you know, most people's understanding of uh, Mesoamerican civilizations is fairly limited. It's limited to they probably can identify a pyramid, a Mayan pyramid for you, um, and they might be able to tell you one or two other things. Outside of that, you know, their knowledge is fairly limited. And we wanted to expand that and give people the opportunity to um, to adventure in, in a world that they're unaccustomed to adventuring in and, you know, and see how they like it. And I think they're going to like it because we, we really did a, a good job um, remaining authentic while also, you know, making it fictional and incorporating fantasy elements that people are familiar with as well. So it's not totally alien, but it is totally different. Wow, that's, that's awesome. That, that goes back to what we were saying other, earlier about staleness and introducing something new. I think we're all kind of used to that Euro fantasy thing, and uh, bringing in Mesoamerican is definitely different. Yes, yes. With, with a few new elements, too. You know, we added a few things to it that we think made it unique as well. Um, and I, I think that, you know, it, it is kind of a there are your traditional fantasy races still your, mm-hmm. your elves, your dwarves, your halflings. Um, you know, goblins, uh, gnolls, um, those creatures are still here, um, but they're presented in a slightly different context than what we're traditionally used to. So in, in this world, they're kind of like, um, uh, they're, they're kind of like autonomous, but not really autonomous. So it's, as in the real Aztec Empire, the Aztec Empire was actually a collection of three city-states and a triple alliance. And this one, we kind of um, modeled it after that. It's a confederation of four city major city-states mm-hmm. that technically rule, but they're always, you know, trying to get the one up on each other. So it adds a little bit of political intrigue as well to this world that we think is um, pretty interesting and will be, keep people engaged. It's really cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, so how much knowledge did you bring to this and how much did you have to research? Oh boy, I had to research a lot. <laughs> uh, I researched, I probably read, oh God, uh, probably hundreds or thousands of pages of material. Um, I watched as many programs as I could find. You'd be surprised there aren't that many. Yeah. Um, so I probably watched you know, six to eight hours of whatever I could find. Um, and it's kind of interesting. I was traveling to another convention and I stopped in the airport to get a book at the bookstore. And normally I just grab like a, a magazine, you know, I'll grab a, I'm a college football fan. So I wanted to see, you know, what the college football preview was for this year. 
and they had one of those things where they had the featured buck. When Montezuma met Cortez, and it was just sitting there right at the counter. And like, this is what we're featuring this month. I'm like, oh my god, I have to get this. I almost took that as a sign that this yeah. is this is you were destined to do this. So, uh, but a lot of research. Um, you know, the one difficult thing with this is it's really, you know, if you're doing a modern interpretation of somebody's culture, it's easy. You can always, you know, speak to someone. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't, I can't speak to somebody who lived in the 16th century. Right. So, you know, I can't say, what was life like in Tenochtitlan? Well, I can speak to an ancestor, but, I mean, an ancestor may not know. And, you know, the civilization as we know it, you know, by and large is gone. Yeah. Um, you know, there's some people who are, you know, still live in parts of Mexico who still have carried on some of the traditions, but, you know, the Aztec Empire as it was, it, it no longer exists. So that was the challenge in that you simply, you know, you can't tap into um, a living person and ask them, you know, tell me your experiences uh, in this in this world. So you have to go buy, you know, books and research and um, whatever you can find to try and piece it together and then add a little bit, again, being fictional, add a little bit of your own mm-hmm. um, extrapolation to it. How much time did you spend on this? Um, I started this project in approximately March or February of 2019 and finished it maybe a month or two ago. So about a year and a half. Good. Yeah, awesome. it was a lot of time. The, the, the finished product is about, I want to guess around three, including all of the add-on stuff and everything else, it's probably around 330 to 350,000 words. So that's a lot of material. <laughs> Frog God is, uh, well, I don't know if they're famous for it, but I know them for huge, huge books. And uh, I, I kind of like the way they're doing it recently with splitting out that system agnostic stuff mm-hmm. and then uh, having separate books for the crunch. Yeah, I think it works well, um, especially since we do cater to three different audiences. We cater to, a, you know, 5e is probably the largest right. in terms of players. Um, but we do have a sword and wizardry following that, you know, is not as large, but also is a lot of collectors. Mm-hmm. And they like to collect, you know, various editions of the books. And we also have a Pathfinder group as well that's, you know, stayed with us. And, um, you know, there was a bit of a time where we did stop producing Pathfinder. Mm-hmm. You know, after the Pathfinder 2 announcement came out, Pathfinder 1 was like, you know, disappeared. And there's a few books we did not produce Pathfinder for. But, you know, our uh, fans who are Pathfinder players and have liked our adventures, you know, made enough, not only made enough noise, but they also bought enough Pathfinder products, right? again, to make it worthwhile to do it. So, you know, we're glad they're back on board and producing material for them. And, you know, I'm really happy about that, too, because I was a Pathfinder player. Oh, yeah. Um, I like I liked Pathfinder. Um you know, I, I you, when you're given the choice between 4E and Pathfinder, Pathfinder <laughs> seems to be to be more of a playable system. But yeah. you know, like any system, it has its has its pros and it has its cons. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want to go into an edition war, but you know, there's just you know some things about Pathfinder that um, become cumbersome at a certain point in time when you're playing a character. Well, it's definitely um, very crunchy. Yes, it's very crunchy, and I think in some respects the crunch starts to break down as you hit certain levels. Yeah, uh, and it becomes very unmanageable, and uh, just 
a lot of numbers, a lot of math, a lot of keeping track of various bonuses that it can become a little unwieldy at times. And, you know, 5e, uh, I think, did a good job in the power curve for characters in terms of it's not like Pathfinder is kind of like a power curve that goes kind of like that, right. you know, the old uh, exponential growth, whereas the 5e is kind of like that gradient where it doesn't, you know, accelerate as quickly. And it makes it easier to run the game. But it doesn't have the modularity that Pathfinder had right. in terms of I can mix and match three or four classes to create this character that I want, whereas 5e, you know, isn't as, uh, isn't as um, how can I say, uh, modular to let you do that. Yeah. So uh, where can people find out more about this Kickstarter before it launches? Um, we are going to be able to provide a um, preview page. So if you want to add it to the notes for yeah. this interview, that would be great. Uh, John will take care of that. Um, Kickstarter's kind of like uh, been a little slow in approving it. So um, it's been submitted. It's just we're waiting approval. So once we get it, we're hoping to launch next week, and I'm pretty confident we will. Um, and once we do, uh, you know, you can – Go to our socials. Um, Frog God has a page on Facebook. is a probably a primary source, uh, so you can follow us there. Uh, froggodgames.com also, um, but that's primarily our our store, more so than our means of communicating with people. Right. So yeah, Facebook is probably the best way um, to keep uh, keep abreast of everything that's going on at Frog God Games. And, and eventually it'll filter through to me at some point. So. <laughs> All right. Well, it was great talking with you, Tom. Yeah, thanks. Nice talking to you as well, Rich. All right. I'll see you guys later. That's all the nuggets we've got this week. Show notes available at slackthenerds.com. Want to reach out? Send a voice message using the link in my show notes, the Anchor FM app or website, or email me at cockatrice-nuggets at gmail.com. Check out my new streams on twitch.com. TV slash Jerry247. As always, you can use my blog at Slacker Nerds to get links to my Patreon and all my other socials. Come join my new Discord server. Links in the show notes. This podcast is ranked via iTunes, so leave me a review and some stars there. Share with your friends or shout out from the rooftops. However you want to get the word out is great for me. Thanks for listening. <laughs>